Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Ooh, wow. Was that like a, that was like a pedal. Did you, have you hooked up on like a drum pedal to the cowbell? No, I actually hit the mic with the drumstick by accident and then <laughs> bounced off and hit the cowbell. So yeah, that sounds sweet. That was cool. We'll have to do <laughs> try to recreate that at some point. Maybe we, maybe that's an idea, Steve. Maybe we need to get him a drum pedal for Christmas. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Like Fun. you get a symbol, we could do a whole thing. Uh, hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Percussion himself, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello again. Uh, hey, and look who it is. We also have Mr. Steve Barkley. That would be me. Uh, and no Liz Malone this week, I'm afraid. Uh, Boo she, Yeah, I know. She will be missed. And, we'll, and we're not just saying that because she listens to the show and she'll, she'll bust us on it if we don't say that. So <laughs> right. totally from the heart. What, no Brian Adams singing there? <laughs> no, sorry, I had to cough. I was waiting for it. Uh, hey, how are you, gents? Are you guys all ready for Christmas? Nope. Yeah. Hardly, not at all, mostly. Yeah, so you guys haven't started shopping or doing any of that stuff at all? Oh, I've started. Oh, have you? Yeah. Yeah, but Ryan, you just you just go on Amazon. Like, you're just an Pretty Amazon much. Yeah. guy. Pretty much. Steve and so. I used to go hit the malls. but We, yeah, we so. can we can again. That's true. That's true. Mm, yeah, right, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, and what about you, Steve? So you, you haven't started at all? Uh, I've, I've done some, I've got a bunch of stuff for stocking stuffers, but, uh, that's about it at this point. Yeah. yeah hit that dollar store for those stocking stuffers. They should really, they should just call the dollar store, like the stocking stuffing store, stocking stuffer store. Yes. There you indeed. go. Helping them, helping them rebrand. Uh, well, very cool. Um, yeah, you? I, I you started. I, no, not at all. Nothing. Nope. Um, I can't even believe it. It's the seventh already. Although, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's you know the first week of December is already gone. Um, it's just nutty to me. So, it's uh, it's coming up fast. So uh, I guess I better get my butt out there and figure out figure out what to get. Yeah, I, just hate, I hate the idea of going to the mall again. Only seventeen shopping days left. Yeah, don't remind me. Three months till spring. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Hey, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, enough of this. Uh, why don't you tell people uh, just what the heck we're doing today? Well, our guest today is Brandon Biggs, who is the CEO of XR Navigation, to tell us all about mapping and tactile mapping and audio mapping and all that good stuff. So, Brandon, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad you could make it. Yeah, yeah. We, we love the idea of mapping. Uh, I feel like this is, this is definitely an, uh, a still a developing field. And it's going to be really exciting when, uh, when you know, this can really, this type of technology can really spill out um, into the community uh, because it's going to be huge. So maybe if we could just start by just giving us a little bit of a, a little bit of background on yourself. 
Yeah, so I am kind of an entrepreneur slash researcher. Uh, I guess my background, I got my bachelor's in music, my master's in inclusive design, and I'm currently getting my PhD in human-centered computing. Uh, so I'm definitely completely uh, immersed into this um, inclusion space and uh, alternate technology space. I'm also blind myself, I'm pretty much completely blind. So uh, it's kind of uh, personal. Uh, so um, I'm very motivated to, uh, to you know, find solutions to, to um, problems that I'm, I'm seeing uh, within the uh, assistive technology space and, and um, technology space in general. Uh, so uh, I am uh, part-time a researcher at the smith Kettlewell Eye Research Institute in San Francisco, and, uh, and then um, I'm kind of splitting out a company based off some of the technology that we've built there uh, into XR Navigation, which is my company focused on uh, non-visual mapping and non-visual virtual reality. So that's kind of a background on me. So, so what made you sort of focus in on the on the idea of of mapping and, and navigation? Because it seems to me that that's that's a, a, has been anyways historically a really tough nut to crack. I know that a lot of companies are are have tried and are still trying, and you know there's a lot of a lot of good stuff out there, but it's just not quite, just hasn't really quite filtered through down into the mainstream. What what kind of made you focus in on this? Well. I think one of the reasons why the um, technology hasn't really filtered down and, and, and become mainstream yet uh, and why have a good solution hasn't been developed is because blind people haven't actually tried to solve the problems themselves. Uh, and so uh, there's been a, a little bit of research on, on mapping. Um, so it was originally like uh, non-visual representations in general. And there's kind of a lot of uh, research on graphs and charts and um, actually where I'm getting my PhD is at the Sonification Lab at Georgia Institute of Technology, which uh, is where most of the research on uh, non-visual graphs and charts um, has been done. Uh, and there's currently a company called HiSoft uh, with our high charts mapping library that is commercially available. You can go get it right now, put it into your website, and you can get a very good um, sonification for your graphs and they keep improving it every day so uh, I actually work with them a lot uh, as well and so um, that that problem is it's not completely solved but it's much better at being solved than the mapping solution uh, when I was in my master's degree and looking at uh, you know what kind of things uh, weren't solved at all it was basically maps like I had never seen a, any kind of map uh, digitally at all ever and uh, and so that was that was a big big huge draw and you know when I was looking at this space and I was saying okay what is this information that is in the data so I was reading a lot of raw <laughs> raw map data files uh, and saying okay what what am I getting here that I am not getting uh, in, in these representations I made a connection that this is pretty much an audio game uh, that, you know, has like spatial information and, you know, you've got these different objects, um, you know, features around the map. And, uh, you know, I could, I could really use some of these audio game conventions that blind people have been using for a really long time uh, to do, you know, first person shooters and, and strategy games. And I can apply that into uh, mapping, uh, which is 
a outside of the context of audio games. And so that was kind of the foundation for the um, audio mapping technology that we're using today. And so uh, the people that I've hired on my team are uh, have, have developed audio games in the past uh, and are really um, within this this auditory uh, gaming space. And so that's kind of uh, the foundation for for why uh, the, the technology uh, and why I chose maps. So I just want to I want to step it back uh, a few steps. Sonification when you when you use that term because you've used it a few times now. Can you kind of explain uh, just what what that means? It's data visualization, but through sound. So if you have charts or diagrams like a box plot or a scatter plot or a line chart or a pie chart, uh, how do you hear that information in audio? And that is the study uh, known as sonification. And so uh, in, in for, for sighted people, that is the study of data visualization. And then sonification is the auditory element of that. Uh, and, and kind of the, the special thing about sonification is that everybody has the ability to listen to sonifications through their, uh, you know, their computer and headphones. And that's it. That's all you need in order to listen to sonifications. So taking that then and applying it to maps seems to be a no-brainer. Is it sort of that easy to sort of, to sort of just take that technology and, and sort of apply it to, to something like um, navigation? Sort of. So sonification has focused primarily on graphs and charts. So uh, or or um, you know representing real time kind of data uh, data streams. And so it's been uh, more of a um, theatrical performance. And so like say for example, you go and uh, search YouTube for NASA uh, sonifications. You can hear different. Uh, kind of YouTube videos of sonifications that NASA has put out, those aren't very useful. And so uh, a lot of the sonifications that have been coming out of, uh, um, like uh, there's a conference on this called the International Conference on Auditory Display, have been very much kind of balancing an act between um, being a kind of theatrical performance and then being something that can actually be used uh, to, you know, query detailed information about graphs. And sometimes, you know, it, it, they both can be there. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, this, what's useful to somebody might be useful to another person, but, you know, it's, um, the, 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 the kind of sonifications that are required for a map are, are different than that. You have to be able to interact with the interface and really explore and, and control, uh, we, we call it the avatar. So you have a little avatar that you're moving around the space and you can move around using like your arrow keys or your, your um, gestures on your phone, uh, swiping uh, or something like that. And you can uh, navigate around this, this map. Uh, every time you press the up arrow key, you move north, uh, however many meters you want to move. Uh, and when you press the right arrow, you move uh, east, you know, however many, uh, meters you've set to move and so on and so forth. And as you move over uh, different objects, we've got like sounds that'll play. Uh, so like when you move over a road, there's a the sound of a footstep hitting concrete and you'll hear speech saying the name of that road. So like Fillmore Street, 
And um, so, so that's, that's one element of sonification. We also use this thing called 3D audio where you can turn on surround sounds and hear what's around you. And uh, you can hear like the sound of plates thinking and people talking uh, that are representative of a restaurant. And you can turn your, uh, your character and walk towards that sound and basically uh, be able to kind of scan around your head and hear what's around you. Uh, and you can also scan with you know, speech as well. So uh, anyway, we've, we've got all these different elements of interactivity that you can do to query uh, our, our, our sonification. You mentioned the fact that you thought the problem, the reason why this technology really hadn't spilled down to the mainstream is that you know, really the, the, the blind community really hadn't taken a stab at this and, and developed it. Can you, can you sort of talk a little bit more about that? Well, it's kind of like this, this thing where, you know, uh, why haven't, um, you know, why haven't people uh, explored, you know, telepathy, for example, it's, it's, it's really hard for somebody who's never experienced it to, to know that it's a thing that you should try and, and do. And so it, you know, when blind people um, uh, talk about maps, the only thing they ever have experienced is a, a tactile map. And when blind people create, um, when blind people create audio games, they use something, um, they don't really call it maps per se, they do call it maps, but they, um, uh, they, they will create um, tile uh, grid-based um, interfaces for, for those in text editors. And so they will like manually create these things and, um, and, and then, you know, and have a rep you know, representation as you're navigating around. I, uh, there, there has been um, a few projects that have been fairly small uh, that has come out um, of the audio game community before looking at maps. Uh, there's, I think, um, uh, one uh, audio game that's kind of famous uh, called Eurofly that has a really nice um, like country map. Uh, but I think the reason why what we're doing is, is much different is because we're using the web. And traditionally, audio games and audio interfaces built by blind people have been for Windows only. And so they haven't really been applicable outside of the Windows environment. And, uh, and so technology has advanced enough so that we can actually uh, do this in the web browser and interface with existing uh, data sets uh, and SDKs that are out there uh, software development kits um, that are uh, you know out there for for maps, and so uh, that's we, we can be a plugin for different uh, mapping tools that are existing, and we can uh, be inserted into any website or any app um, because we're based off of web technology. So I think that's really that's that's to be honest is probably one of the biggest um, innovations that we did was move all this information to um, to the web and then really focus on this mapping. Uh, experience. You mentioned you could plug into a website. So if you wanted to visit your local mall and that mall had your plugin installed, you could do a virtual exploration of that mall in an audio format, correct? Yeah. So what are we waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> um, so for, for, yeah, so there's, there's a, there's a few um, elements that, uh, that kind of need to be in place before uh, you can explore in as much 
details you want. So first is uh, we need the data. And right. the, that's, that's kind of um, the first step. So there are companies, a lot of different companies out there doing like indoor spaces. And, and sorry, let me, let me caveat this. There are two types of maps. There are thematic maps, which are like maps over the U.S. that show statistical information, like cor like coroplath maps. Um, you know where you see COVID cases in your county, uh, and that's kind of layered over the U.S. Then there's referential maps, which are like the maps of a mall, uh, where you can kind of learn about routes between point A and point B, and you know kind of explore the topological features, like the different. Uh, features um, around uh, you like here's the door and here's the the bathroom and all that kind of stuff so they each require different um ways of obtaining data and so the first step is get the data and for buildings in particular um uh, one way to do that is to work with companies um, there's a company that we work with called good maps uh, and they do turn-by-turn -turn navigation. But what their really interesting piece that they do is they go out and they scan the whole building with LIDAR, and then they create a two-dimensional uh, map in, in a, a mapping format that uh, our, our mapping tool can then uh, use. And so um, the first step is to get the data of the mall. And so uh, that's we, we, we really just need that that data. And then once that data is um, created, uh, we'll go through and, and just make sure that uh, things are mapped uh, and named correctly. So uh, in, in Audium, for example, everything needs like a name attribute because uh, if you're looking at just like a box, it's kind of hard to figure out what that is. And so um, we try to name it uh, like this box is a women's restroom. <laughs> so we have some context for it. Uh, and then we can also add sounds to that map uh, and, and stuff like that. Um, and then we give the the um, people uh, who want that map, um, we can either post it on our website or we can give them, uh, and or we can give them a, a link that they can insert into their app or website, uh, or we can embed it into their website through our software development kit. And so do you, do you sort of see the solution behind all this? Is it is it a multifaceted solution or do you feel like just somebody somewhere needs to take all of these different pieces that have been developed and put them into some sort of one ubiquitous navigation app, whether that's, um, you know, something that Apple actually comes out, comes out with um, on their phones and then Google follows suit just so that there, there's just something that everybody has sort of access to in terms of accessibility or do you see this as being sort of a community-driven, open-source solution? Uh, I definitely see. Uh, I want uh, our our um, our tool can be embedded into any app. So if Apple wanted to embed it, they can. Um, definitely open for conversations. Uh, if Google wants to embed it into their mapping tool, definitely open for that. If Esri wants to embed it into their tool, you know we're definitely built for that. So that is kind of our. We want to we want to partner with these big companies to kind of get uh, our Audium tool into uh, all these ubiquitous mapping platforms, and that that would be kind of the ideal situation. So we started with High Charts, um, the HighSoft, uh, the the company with they they have a mapping tool as well, uh, and so we're we're um, in the midst of working with them, uh, and then also these apps like you mentioned, Good Maps. 
um, we're also kind of working with them to, to embed our map into their um, their their app. And uh, so uh, we've been applying for different grants and and funding um, uh, through through the government and and other places to get uh, our our tools. Um, continued development and integration with with our map into these these existing technologies but uh, we we do have a website that you can go and kind of experience audium for yourself at audiumaudiom.net and uh, you can go in and log on and, and uh, search for any address in the world and get a map at that location in your experience so far I know good maps has been doing this for a while now and there are slowly other companies coming on board mapping indoor spaces. But, you know, some of the barriers been the cost of standalone LiDAR cameras. Are our phones smart enough now with LiDAR to be able to scan indoor spaces? And can we source the community for more, more data? Almost. Um, I, I think that uh, Good Maps is working on a solution for phones, actually, uh, because they don't, they, they want, want to cut down their cost of, of you know sourcing that as well. So it is something that is happening and, and should be here very soon. I don't know when it'll happen, but uh, you know, absolutely data is the most important piece. Uh, another element to this is that blind people actually want different types of data than sighted people. So I've done a couple studies um, where I've asked blind people People, you know, what do you, what would your your ideal navigational solution kind of include, and what kind of data would it have? And blind people want doorways, like where's the door? Uh, they want the sidewalk information, the shoreline information. So, like, what's on the border of the sidewalk? Where are the poles? Where are the manhole covers? Where are the landmarks that I can, you know, hear uh, as I'm walking through this space, uh, or or you know, hit with my cane? You know, where are the benches? Uh, and and where the bus stops and where is the bus going to stop? <laughs> you know, that, that those are really the, the most important pieces uh, or any big bushes as well. Like those are really important elements for blind people, important features that blind people want to, to have. And OpenStreetMap has almost none of that. And so what I really would like to see is blind people finally getting access to participate in the OpenStreetMap community and add kind of this information or advocate for this type of data to be added to OpenStreetMap because Europe has been like sidewalks, for example. Uh, Europe has been uh, mapping sidewalks for a very long time, people in Europe. And that just finally came to US very, very recently uh, through the Open Sidewalks Project. And uh, they had to fight tooth and nail to get you know some extra elements added to that that sidewalk um, information and, and still it's it's kind of a property on the side of a, a road right now so um, somebody thinks that roads are the most important information and uh, you know, for blind people that's not true uh, and so um, once blind people have a voice and, and can experience what's happening I think that's going to really be an amazing uh, amazing um, change agent within the mapping data communities like OpenStreetMap. Well, you know, this is really interesting because it seems to me that, you know, all the technology with maybe the exception of, of the LiDAR stuff, like on a phone, but like, honestly, like 10 years ago, like the whole idea that you could even, you know, you could even attempt to map a space with a LiDAR camera with your phone is 
you know, is incredible. It would have blew, blew our minds 10 years ago. So the fact that we can even kind of do it half-ass now is amazing. So, but it sounds like everything else, like all these tech, technology pieces are pretty much ready for prime time. It's just really, it's the implementation of it. It's, it's that human element of just somebody needs to, to, you know, figure out a way to, to really make this um, ubiquitous and, and easy for, for people to use. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it's there. Um, you know, definitely there's more work to do, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it is a little bit of, of, you know, if, if we, we just had a little bit more funds, you know, we can get over the, the finish line kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, there, there's, there is a lot more research that needs to be done, like within our, our mapping, for example, uh, especially within like thematic maps, um, and even indoor spaces, we haven't done a lot of indoor maps yet. And so, uh, we really want to kind of figure out, okay, do we, you know, how do we handle multi-story information? There's not even a data, um, standard for indoor maps that can handle, uh, like they can, they can show the, the important information that blind people want. So it's kind of, um, uh, it's still in the early stages, but it's really, it's, it's, it's going to be there in, in next, you know, um, hopefully year to five years, we should be seeing, you know, lots of indoor navigation and, you know, cross sensory maps, uh, like our tool and, um, uh, you know, open street map is, is going to be, it already is ubiquitous. And, and, and so, um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, con it, this is, this is a really exciting space to kind of be in. Are there companies or is there an organization that is currently working on standards for indoor spaces? Because the last thing, you know, we want as blind people is five different apps to navigate different, you know, different mapping solutions. Yeah. Apple has their indoor mapping data format, uh, but it, needs a little help um, and so oftentimes what happens is uh, you know we'll go in and um and, and kind of use that as as a as our introductory standard but then you know we need more stuff like we need something that can represent drinking fountains and the size of drinking fountains or tables and chairs uh because that's really important um for for blind people uh as well so you know that that stuff isn't really supported by the indoor mapping data format very well uh, and neither is like the relationship to, to uh, the building. And so this chair is on the third floor, uh, is in my office on the third floor in this building on this campus. You know, that's that, that kind of relationship isn't really there. So, so do you um, think you know, one of the hurdles is, you know, trying to include too much detail right off the bat and, you know, nothing gets accomplished very quickly? Or would it make more sense to, you know, come up with an overarching mapping solution and work on the detail as you go along. I think it's a little bit of the iteration phase right now to where we're, we're trying to figure out what is, what is going to work sure. um, and what do people need for this? And, you know, as like, for example, our tool coming out uh, is not something that any of the data format creators ever imagined would exist. And so, you know, that, that makes making a standard really hard. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so, but uh, good maps has been, uh, you know, kind of expanding their format and we've been kind of tagging along and getting uh, our, 
our format in there. And I, I think what's going to end up happening and what has happened even within the, um, the, the, the outdoor mapping community is it, it is, it is everybody has kind of their own standard, but in a particular format. So like GeoJSON is like the standard format for mapping. And so then it's just kind of a matter of how do you get your format into a format that we need? And it's, it's actually very easy to kind of translate between the different formats. And so, um, uh, you know, it's our, our tool makes it very fast for us to, you know, support a new, a new data type, just as long as we can get it into GeoJSON. So a new format, just as long as we can get it into GeoJSON, which is kind of the format that we, we, we support. It just sounds like it's so daunting, you know, to get as much detail as you're talking about wanting to include, yeah. you know, bushes, tables, chairs, bathrooms, signage, yeah. bushes, poles, bus stops, like the job will never, never be done. So you have to start somewhere, right? And yeah, and evolve it as you go. So kudos to at least starting the project for sure. I mean, it sounds like a lot of that stuff. I mean, that's, I think, where the community-driven part really comes in comes in yes. handy because if, if you do, if, if, if all of that data <clears throat> is provided by the community about people who are at that mall mm -hmm. every day and run into that damn tree branch <laughs> every freaking day yeah. when they're on their way to the bus you know, they're going to, they're, they're going to go out of their way to, to map that and to add that, that data point. And so I don't think it will take long at all um, to actually build out all of, all of that information. Yeah. And, and what we're trying to do with our, our map viewer right now is kind of make an editor so that blind people can actually draw their own maps and add features in, you know, and create, uh, you know, points, polygons, and lines, which are the fundamental building blocks of maps. Uh, independently, and and then they can tag it, and hopefully, eventually, add it to OpenStreetMap, and that that would be that would be an amazing uh, outcome. And so we're we're working on that. Well, I'm telling you, this is uh, I'm excited because uh, you know we are going to hold you to that uh, <laughs> between you know a year and five years that all of this is going to be in place. So I've written that down. So Brandon said <laughs> four. Um, I mean, but, yeah, good, good maps just raised what $3 million in a seed round. And so, um, oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's insane. Uh, very, very, very amazing. Um, I've never seen that big of a, of a seed round. So, um, that, that's, that's great. Uh, they, they just posted that on their, their blog. Um, yeah. Well, it, and I do want to ask a little bit about funding because you did mention it. And so I'm just wondering if that, if that is like a, a sort of a big challenge when it comes to this technology. And I'm just wondering why, why that, why this isn't more of a priority um, or maybe it's slowly becoming more of a priority. I, I'm not sure. I think part of it is just uh, communicating to the right people. So we've been, I, I apply for a lot of grants every year uh, probably nine or 10, they're a lot of work to write. And so, um, you know, each one takes about 40 hours, uh, at least of, of time. And that's time I'm not spending on, you know, development and research and, and all that other stuff. And so, um, you know, there, there's, uh, the, the, the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research, NIDLR, uh, has really funded a lot of our research. The problem is they're not big enough and, you know, they've got these enormous problems to solve uh, and they're severely underfunded. Uh, but, you know, institutes like 
um, National Institutes of Health, uh, they're ophthalmologists evaluating these grants. And <laughs> like, you know, what kind of experience do ophthalmologists have with, you know, navigating outdoors as a blind person? Mm -hmm. So um, especially somebody who I, I never see an ophthalmologist, to be honest, because um, I don't have enough vision to make that useful. So it's like, uh, you know, <laughs> there's there's not much collaboration or, or you know, communication between what an ophthalmologist is thinking of and, you know, what we're trying to do here. And right. so uh, that's that's kind of the problem. Uh, the, the people reviewing these grants are not the ones who um, understand the problem. And so, um, yeah, I've been advocating for, for more collaboration between Heidler and National Institutes of Health and, and places like that. Um, but it, it's government's slow. So, yeah, and that's a problem. Um, and also, when you submit a grant, it takes almost uh, six months, you know, typically before you hear anything about it. So uh, that's also a problem. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, I, I, I've been, since we've been talking, I've been thinking about maps and, and mapping technology in general. And really, like, if you think about it, and I've said this before, like, I don't know, what, what, what did we do before, you know, Google Maps or without Street View, like without all of this, like basically having a, a GPS direction finder in your pocket all the time that it makes it impossible pretty much to get lost. Um, you know, I think back to like 20 years ago. Not uh, impossible. Batteries run out. <laughs> well, true. Okay. For sure. <laughs> sure. But, you know, 20 years ago, like if you wanted to find a street or something, you'd have to go buy a map book. Uh, you know, you'd have to figure out where that street was before you left. Um, you know, geez, or even like the early days of the internet when you'd have to like, you need a direction somewhere and you have to go to like MapQuest and you'd have to like plug in the addresses and then print off the directions and stuff. But now, you know, it's, you know, we have this, this, um, the, the capability to just do that on the fly with, with, with our phones. And I think we really take that for granted. So I do think that navigation and maps is really important for everybody. Like we, we really need to, to really get this technology um, accessible and available to, to everybody. Yeah, I mean, the digital mapping market is about $21 billion and grows about 18% a year. So it's huge. And indoor mapping is is like a, I think it's like an eight, $8 billion market and it's growing 40% every year. So it's, you know, this is a huge, huge space um, that's that's just exploding um, in, in, and um, blind people haven't had access to just about any of it so far you know turn by turn directions like you mentioned are great uh, but have you ever used google maps without looking at the map like the visual map yeah i'm sure it's a nightmare i, I haven't but ryan i don't think so I, i'm totally blind myself brandon and yeah typically it's always been blindness specific navigation apps and and even something like um, uh, I don't I don't know do, do, do you use um, I think Ariadne GPS is the closest to what we've kind of developed on there um, and and uh, I, I don't know I, I've tried stuff like what they've got and and that's been really really hard um, for me to kind of understand and so one thing that we're really attempting to do is 
perform uh, rigorous studies uh, with blind people to show that, you know, to demonstrate if it can we can blind people display uh, this this spatial knowledge that is really important when viewing maps. Because uh, a lot of times, you know, somebody will come out with a really cool assistive technology and, you know, the, the kind of always the question is, does it work? But, you know, you can kind of talk it up until you're blue in the face. But I'm really interested in the data. Like, do people actually get this information uh, better than what they would get in somewhere else? And so um, that's that's one thing that we're really trying to do is, is show that, that this is actually uh, research based technology. Well, and again, I think, you know, people learn differently, right? Some people will learn and absorb more information tactilely than audio, and others will be vice versa. You know, we know that there are devices out there, um, like the graffiti tablet as well, that is, you know, a, a pin array um, that will allow high-resolution graphics, charts and tables, you know, adjustable pin heights, um, some people will be able to grasp spatially where things are kind of laid out. Others, you know, may want something with audio plots that they can navigate through using a keyboard. So, yeah, yeah one, absolutely. one size won't fit all for sure. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get it to where, um, you know, when, when you generate an audio map, you can also get a tactile, uh, something that you could either emboss or, or view on, a, on, a, on one of the, tactile displays that are coming out. Um, but, you know, audio is the least expensive out of all the sure. modalities, uh, you know, like the, the mm, Site Tech Global was just going on today yeah. and uh, American Printing House for the Blind was talking about their tactile tablet that they're going to be hopefully releasing sometime soon. And it's going to be, I think they were saying between ten to fifteen thousand dollars a piece, <laughs> yeah. and so, and I know graffiti is even more than that. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, when 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 we get these tactile tablets, that's going to be great. Um, but it's going to be super exclusionary, even more exclusionary than something like the iPhone. Right. And so, you know, uh, some people have done vibro haptic research on audio uh, on on maps as well. Um, and so I'm actually working with them as well uh, on our on our uh, maps. But um, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm a big advocate of what's called cross sensory representation. So you can choose which modality you want to experience the map in. That's why we call ourselves, you know, Audium, the world's most inclusive map viewer. And, and so that's what we we're really pushing that boundary of what can you show in each modality. Uh, as effectively as possible. So that's that's really important to us. Have you worked, or I'm, I'm assuming that you've partnered in some way, shape, or form with NFB, ACB, some of the Lighthouse organizations as well? Um, to some extent, not, not as much as we probably should have. Um, we're, we're, we're still a little bit in that, in that uh, early research um, phase okay. uh, and, and, you know, R&D phase, um, but... Uh, um, once we kind of get a, a more consumer-based product uh, out, so uh, we're, we're right now more business-to-business -business and business-to-government kind of uh, technology. Uh, but once once we uh, get our, our consumer experience more uh, rigorous and out there, um, it will definitely be something that we we go you know to those conferences and 
and and you know work with the people at those those organizations um but uh yeah um we've we've definitely uh i'm i'm you know part of those those organizations as yeah um, somewhat so will you have something to reveal at csun next year yes we are going to be at csun <laughs> next year um we've actually we've been at csun for the last two years so um uh uh, this this year we're going to be focusing primarily on our uh, campus and neighborhood um, mapping experience, and uh, I unfortunately won't be there. But my uh, our our head uh, programmer, uh, his name is Christopher Toth. Uh, he is going to be um, the, uh, the the presenter on that, and so um, yeah, we will be at CSUN this year. Very cool. See, there you go. Maybe we'll see you there. We've been planning a CSUN live. Uh, we, well, we, didn't, actually, we didn't tell Steve that we're planning this, but planning a CSUN live episode uh, one year. So who knows? CSUN. You never know what could happen. See, there you go, man. I, I think the hard part is the, the noise, you know, the background noise. It's true. I've done yeah. a couple interviews at CSUN and we've had to like, duck into unused rooms, you know, <laughs> trying yeah. to do interviews because it's just too noisy. Um, but if you got a really good mic that cuts out noise, let me know because I'm looking for one. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll let you know. We we are Ryan's the mic guy and he's I'm constantly looking hunt. for the perfect yeah. perfect mic. Well before we let you go, um where can people find out more information and how can they reach out and, and contact you? My email address is brandon.biggs at xrnavigation.io. And my, uh, you can experience Audium for yourself at audiom.net. So audium.net. Awesome. And we will be sure to include that in the show notes as well. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been fascinating. I'm excited. Uh, to see what the future holds, because uh, it sounds like uh, things are starting to fall into place. Yeah, hopefully the future holds a lot more maps that are accessible to blind people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. Good luck, Darren. Thanks a lot. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. See, very cool. It, mm -hmm. it, sounds like, uh, it sounds like stuff's happening in that space. Well, that's that whole indoor navigation. That's the unknown frontier still, right? So, Well, that's what I feel like. I feel like we've been talking about this since we've been doing the show. Um, <laughs> honestly, like it's got to be six or seven years, right? Where, you know, it was, it's, you know, indoor navigation, beacons. No, yeah. not beacons. We've got, um, you know, QR codes. No, not QR codes. We're doing, you know, GPS. And so it sounds like there's a lot of different people working on, a, on the solution from a lot of different directions, but um, I don't know. Nobody seemed to crack the code yet. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Well, I think there's a place for all of that. You know, not like I said before, as, as long as somebody has their means of getting the information they want, I don't care if it's through a beacon, through NaviLens, through an audio right. map on my phone. As long as I have access, that's the important part. Yeah. Well, and you know, and maybe you're right. Like maybe I think I guess in different different situations, there's going to be a better solution. You know, something like beacons. Maybe beacons would be amazing for like something like a grocery store, where you want to have somebody be able to to find like 
the apples, you know, on a shelf or the cereal aisle, or to be able to identify, you know, what cereal you're looking at. Um, you know, and that would might be a better solution for something like a beacon, as opposed to, um, you know, a, a map that's been created in, you know, in LIDAR. Yeah, so, the, you know, that, you know, getting the, the space of the, of the grocery store maybe would work in LIDAR, but in terms of like actual product that's going to move around or that's going to change, that might be more, more of a beacon that you can just, you know, shift the location of the beacon. I, I, I don't know. Well, and again, we you know, the, one of the main issues we've talked about before with beacons, you know, Navilands or even a technology like Audium is the maps only going to be as good as the data that's input into them, right? Yeah. So if that data isn't kept up to date, your map's going to be rendered useless anyway. So yeah, well, that's a good point. That problem still has, hasn't been solved. Well, and I think that that's where I, I think it really makes the most sense to just be community driven. Sure. Um, you know, the, that's, that, that makes the most sense to me because otherwise like trying to get, trying to expect businesses or, um, you know, buildings to create yeah. that data just isn't realistic. They're just not going to do it. Well, um, and, you know, even if you did have, you know, blueprints of a building, yeah, renovations happen, right? Walls move, things happen. So again, yeah. it would have to be constant, well, not constantly, but it would have to be maintained, yeah. kept up to date. Static environments, you know, may be a little bit easier, but... Yeah, and I feel like all the really most useful use cases for this would be things like grocery stores or malls and stuff. And those things are all always changing. You know, storefronts change, uh, you know, the merchandising, you know, where they have this versus that is constantly changing. So um, it's, it, that would be really hard to, to stay on top of, I think. An audio map of a cruise ship. There you go. Find your hallway, find your restaurant, find the gift shop. Yeah, the I guess. Just show you where not to walk overboard. Well, that there's not the going to be a lot of renovations on a cruise ship, right? Yeah, it's, well, it's true. Not the good ones anyway. <laughs> but no, it's, inter it's, it's interesting. But I know that like NaviLens is, is like, Steve, you, you sell NaviLens, right? Yes. Yep. So, I mean, how is that technology developed? Like they, they must still be working on that. And that must, that must be getting better and better because I think the last time we talked to them was what, it's like three years ago. Yeah. I've actually got to talk to them fairly soon because um, I've got some interest going on right now, but um, okay. um, I just did a presentation on it not too long ago. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it the the base product itself um has not changed all that dramatically over the last little while but it's a it's a solid solution and it's a commercially available solution um i mean the latest development right. for them is that their their codes are now being included on uh serial packages for um i believe it's uh kellogg's uh, i believe kellogg's yeah yeah, yeah. wow so it, it's it's starting to actually find its way into mainstream products as well which is really cool yeah, see, that's and that's the frustrating thing about it, right? It's it's like it's these cases where the technology exists, but just nobody's implementing it, nobody's using it because there's no, you know, a lot of these companies don't feel like there's a business case to do it, and so you kind of really have to sell them on it. 
Well, and then there's the marketing side of it too, right? You know, you take Navilens and, and Kellogg's, whatever that partnership is, it, it it's great to have that code implemented on a, on a cereal box, but if I don't know that code is now on Kellogg's boxes, I'm never going to see it. I'm never going to decide to pull out my phone, scan yeah. the cereal aisle, and oh, bling, oh, there's a box of cornflakes. That's exactly what I wanted, right? So marketing is a huge yeah. thing as well. And it costs a lot of money to market something like that. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, you know, and I guess the other, the, and not to be a Debbie Downer about it, but like, like look at something like um, Script Talk. Like, we're, you know, we're, I know we've got an upcoming show with somebody who's, who's going to sort of discuss this more. But Script Talk, for those who don't know, it's this, you know, it's this talking prescription label uh, system um, that's supposedly it's supposed to be available anywhere you go at any one of your pharmacies, but a lot of pharmacies haven't implemented it um, just because they don't, I mean, it's mandated, right, Ryan? Is that right? No, no. It's not, it's not mandated. Can, yeah, no, pharmacies can opt into it. Shoppers is probably one of the biggest chains that right. have opted into it. Not all shoppers outlets have it, and we'll get more information on the upcoming show. But, yeah. you know, there, you can ask your pharmacy to carry the script talk reader and basically the pharmacist just basically runs this code through this machine i guess or inputs the information into the script talk machine label nfc chip whatever it is they slap that onto your bottle and then i think you have a reader or an app on your phone now and right. you scan that and it'll tell you what your prescription is and how to take it and you know the directions and don't mix it with this that and the other thing Right. You know, so if you've got a lot of different prescriptions you have to take, this one twice a day, this one three times a day, but don't take with milk, you know, you have no idea unless mm -hmm. you have a product like Script Talk. Well, and that's, and so I guess that's my point though, is that, you know, there, a lot of pharmacies are still not carrying it or right. they maybe will if you ask them. Or you just think how, or, or they don't know about it. But you think of how incredibly valuable that ability is and like how important that is um and we're not even you know moving the needle on that or it's slow to move um you know the you know labeling beacons and you know labeling the produce aisle in a grocery store that's going to take a long time to trickle down because you know even the most important stuff is is still a bit of a struggle right now so that's kind of frustrating to me well, and again, it comes down to we wouldn't have this information if it wasn't for the advocacy groups telling us about the information, right? Script Talk mm -hmm. probably doesn't have a billion dollars for marketing to the mainstream during primetime TV hours. Sure. Neither yeah. does NaviLens, right? So without yeah. the advocacy groups and following specific newsletters for your community, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to become aware of, of these of this information how is shoppers supposed to know what's available for those who are blind deaf blind or partially sighted unless yeah. you know they're being marketed to so yeah. mar marketing's i think still a big a big issue as well yeah yes so so we need the advocacy groups yelling and screaming and advocating yeah. you're right <laughs> Jumping up and down. That's right. Hey, speaking of jumping up and down, storming the legislature, I heard a rumor, Ryan. <laughs> What'd you I, hear? I heard you got a new t-shirt. I did. I had a mystery t-shirt show up at my door. My wife and I kind of looked at each other and said, did you order the shirt? I said, no, I didn't order a shirt. Well, it's from Amazon. I said, I looked at my Amazon orders. There was no t-shirt ordered. So it was just a mystery. I don't know where this shirt came from. And then... 
out of the blue, Steve says, did you get your T-shirt? And I'm like, um, what T-shirt? <laughs> so he explains a little bit about on a previous episode, I, I decided that we were going to, um, we needed a revolution, I guess. That, that would have been last week. Last yes. week's episode? Yeah. 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 So yeah, Steve ordered me the t-shirt and I can let him explain it because I still don't know who the person is on the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a chance to Google him yet. Oh gosh. Uh, you, 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 you don't know who Shea Guevara is. No. That's uh, yeah. all right. Well, he was he was a uh, uh, an Argentinian Marxist revolutionary. Uh, he was he was a uh, a big part of the uh, Cuban Revolution with uh, Fidel Castro. Okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, he you see him you see him on the on a lot of t-shirts. Yeah. He, his his silhouette is uh, fairly fairly famous as a as a revolutionary. Um, he uh, how did he die? I don't remember now. Hopefully not in prison. Uh, uh, oh, he uh, he was captured by CIA-assisted Bolivian uh, forces and summarily executed. There you oh, go. Crap! <laughs> Thanks a lot, CIA. <laughs> I knew I knew that was too good to be true. That he like just died at home, face down in a plate of spaghetti or something. <laughs> yeah. No, he was a he was a commie, and the U.S. took him out by the looks of it. So. Shoot. Well. Hmm. There you go, Ryan. There well, now, go. now you have something to wear. I have. While you yeah, form indeed. the uh, legislature. Yeah, just be careful about the CIA. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> they don't have jurisdiction here, do they? Oh, probably. Uh, I, mean, I mean, they probably didn't have jurisdiction wherever they caught the dude. Yeah, nobody expects the CIA. <laughs> right. Ding dong. Hello, CIA. <laughs> All right. Well, oh, geez, Liz is in here. So now I'm all confused as to where I'm going. Okay. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us at atbanter.com. Hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com. I have to say, though, cowbell is coming through spectacularly today. I have original audio on. Nice. Oh, we'll see. There you go. Okay. You go. Well, good. That's that's our solution. Yep. Uh, hey, Steve, where can else can people find us? Well, they can find us on all of those social medias. Elon Musk's Twitter. Oh, jeez. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Mark, uh, what's his face's uh, Facebook and uh, Lucky Berg, <laughs> and whoever does Instagram. <laughs> and we are also we are also now on Mastodon for those oh, see, black people go. that have fled Twitter. At Banter is now on Mastodon at At Banter at Disabled dot Social, or just do a search for At Banter. You wow, I didn't have to figure out this Mastodon thing. It yeah, sounds complicated. we're all figuring it, it out. As is well. it a, is it like uh, you use like the same little at symbol? Yeah, it's like Twitter. It's like Twitter. Okay. It looks like Twitter. Behaves yeah, like Twitter. Yeah, I'll take a look at it. Maybe I'll create an account this week. Okie dokie. So we'll see. All right, and well, cool. I will not. I'm going to continue my. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm just going to continue avoiding uh, you know social media as much as possible. Yeah, I know. You know what? I, now that you're saying that, you're right. Uh, what the hell do I want a, a replacement for Twitter for personally? Like, I, I've never used it personally, Twitter yeah. to begin with. Like, I don't want another. I Like, we don't need another Twitter. Hmm. But 
build it and they will come, especially if they can post pictures of their dinner and their cat or, and it's important. Well, the cat, they can understand. I'm still <laughs> waiting for the, I'm still waiting for cat book or something. We should really have social media for cats. It's probably out there. All right. Well, I think that is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Brandon for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.